So you have to be fearless in a sense that the worst thing will never happen, but the best thing will probably never happen either, especially when you are at the beginning of your journey. So be okay with the pace at which things are moving, make them happen. Be fearless that nobody will be mad at you because you're inviting them to speak at an event. Just make it happen. Just do it. Just go out there, put your stuff out there, start from somewhere. And you're going to get somewhere if you start from the beginning. In a world of career uncertainty, there is one variable you have total control over, yourself. Welcome to Forever Employable Stories, where expert digital transformation consultant and successful entrepreneur Jeff Gotthelf will share conversations with unique and inspiring individuals who have taken charge of their professional lives, leveraged their expertise, built an audience, and future-proofed their careers so you can learn how to do the same. Here's your host, Jeff Gotthelf. If you take a checklist of the things that you need to do to become forever employable. You read the book, you look at all the things that I advise. Enrico Rubio has done them all and then some. He has built one of the largest communities online for human resources professionals. He runs events, he gives talks, he brings people on, he has a podcast. Everything that you should be doing, he's doing. And yet, he hasn't yet turned this into a full-time business for himself. He still maintains a job, He still does some consulting while building out this community and his own personal brand. In our conversation, we talk about that dichotomy, the fact that he's done so well building out that network and building out that audience, and now trying to figure out how to monetize that audience so that this could become his full-time job. Take a listen. Hey, folks. Welcome back to another episode of Forever Employable Stories. Super duper excited about my guest on this episode. He is the founder of Hacking HR, an amazing community that's come about over the last few years, helping folks think through modern human resources and the future of work. I've had the pleasure of participating in his community as a speaker and as a member in some of his events. I'm super excited to have Enrique Rubio here with us today. Enrique, welcome to the show. Jeff, thank you so much for inviting me excited about this conversation of forever employable, you know, stories and, and how we can make this happen, right? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, and look, and this is one of the, the things I'm really excited about this episode is because we've had a lot of folks come on and talk about how they took the thing that they love and turned it into sort of a content business for themselves, really focusing on themselves. We've had not as many people come on and, and talk about the thing that, how they took the thing that they're passionate about and interested in and turn it into a community and to a network and really build around that. So I'm really excited for you to tell your story and really think through why a community and how to do it and give folks a sense that, look, there's a variety of different ways to build a platform for yourself and to start to generate opportunities for yourselves and, and hopefully achieve this state of forever employability, which we're all targeting, which is great. So let's start, let's start at the beginning, which, is, which would be great. Give the folks a little background about yourself. Tell us a bit about yourself. Where did you start your career? What did you aspire to be? Well, uh, I was born in Venezuela. I actually started my career as an electronic engineer and all because I wanted to be an astronaut. And I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to go to NASA. And that was, my, <laughs> that was I think, my teenager dream, unrealized dream. And I, I, I mean, I'm claustrophobic now, so I know that I, I wouldn't have been able to make that. But that's how I started my career. And 
I worked for a number of years as a as an engineer, and then you know I was getting really bored of just working with the technology, you know, just doing that piece of work. And then I find I found myself working with people in the sales area, technical sales, which I truly enjoyed. I enjoyed the work with the people. And then I said to myself, well, I don't want to be in sales, but I want to continue working with people. So, you know, what, what, what else can I do? And I found HR, you know, and I didn't know much about HR other than they were the people paying me at the end of the, of the month, you know, for my work. <laughs> right. But once I realized, you know, the important work that HR should be doing or could do, I realized that that's what I wanted to be. And I thought, to myself, you know, working in HR, but bringing this technology and engineering background, I think this can add a lot of value here because, you know, generally people that work in HR, they don't come from engineering and they come from other backgrounds, you know, like psychologists or lawyers or, you know, organizational development and things of the kind. But, you know, not always do you find, you know, hard science, hard uh, technicalist people in this world of HR. So that's where I come from. And that's how I got into this work of HR. That's really great. And look, what's interesting about that? First of all, hey, look, you can't be an astronaut if you're claustrophobic, <laughs> right? No, you I can't. I wonder what the, like, there's got to be a test, right? Like, the, that's the first test if you want to be an astronaut, right? Yeah. We're just going to put you in this box for an hour. And if you can, yeah. if you can not freak out for an hour, you get to continue, which is great. <laughs> no, but you're right. Look, it's interesting, right? I've dealt with HR folks my whole career as well. And, and when you meet, an HR professional with a technical background, especially if you come, if you're the technical person, it's refreshing, right? Because you can, they understand what you do and how you do it. And it's interesting to see folks transition from, from technical to HR. Now, so you move into HR and you start, you start to build hacking HR, which is an impressive community. So before, before we get into the specifics of it, give us a sense of the scope of hacking HR. So when I say impressive, it's generic. Be specific. What's the scope of this community? Yeah, well, let me use a proxy model of, of what we built. Last year in March, we put together our global online conference. The first one, I started designing the conference at the end of 2019. It was always meant to be both online and free. And the reason for that is because, well, you know, when you look around, there are other HR events out there that are incredibly expensive and they generally are in person. So they are exclusive by two ways, right? By being so expensive and by being in person. And I was thinking, you know what? If I really want to help people in HR to do better work and get access to all these amazing speakers like you, Jeff, and many others, I got to find a way to make it easy for them to participate. And that's why I thought I want to do it free and online. So the first conference last year, we had 11,000 participants and 225 speakers. This year, 2021, we had 24,000 participants and almost 600 speakers. And as of now, we already have more than 24,000 participants for the conference next year in 2022 already registered and a little over 600 speakers confirmed. So I use this as a proxy to sort of reflect the amount of people engaged in this community. I'm sure we're going to be talking about this, but, you know, people are asking me all the time, like, you know, how do you get so many speakers involved? How do you get so many participants involved? And this will become part of my comments with some of the questions that you have about community, but it's just because we're doing not only the right thing by trying to get it, help HR become better, but we're also doing it in the right way, which is 
generally HR people are the least funded function in any business. They don't have a lot of money, but also they are tiny departments. So even if somebody in HR had the money to pay for a conference and to travel to that conference, we're talking about departments that generally are between, you know, one, five people for a four, 5,000 people company. So removing one of them for an entire week to participate in an event, that's, that's unthinkable for the company, right? So there is a way I, why I say that we're doing the, not only the right things, but doing them right is because we are designing our content and our experiences in a way that makes it easy for everybody to join without any obstacles, without any excuse, without any hindrance to their participation. So that's it. Yeah. I love this. So a couple of things that I want to call out here that are really, really important about what you said. So one of the challenges that I hear all the time when I talk about Forever Employable is say, Jeff, look, I'm a project manager or I'm an accountant or whatever. Everything that's ever been said about project management is already online. How can I differentiate myself? What's unique about it? We talk about telling your own story. In this particular case, and I took some notes here because I think this is great. What you did was you took an industry where there's no shortage of content, there's no shortage of events or organizations around it, but you defined your community as not exclusive, appealing to an organization that doesn't have a lot of money nor time to get away from the office, right? So we make it online or whatever it is, we make it free, and you've reduced the barriers to entry, right? You've reduced the cost of participating you're removing the barriers to entry, which starts to really grow that community, which is absolutely amazing and super impressive. And I want to call that out, right? So that's your differentiation there. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I I want to add on top of that, that the way I designed the events that I put together is, you know, 99.9% of the content is delivered via panels. I invite, you know, four or five people to participate in a panel. And I do that purposefully because I want these people to be very genuine, very authentic. I want them to share stories. I don't want them to come with a presentation that they rehearsed several times. And, you know, some of the things in that presentation may be true or, or, or not, but they put it together in some slide deck. I want these conversations to be very genuine, right? And when people participate in the panels that I put together, both the speakers and the participants, what happens is that it becomes, quote unquote, a group of friends having coffee, talking about something that is very intentionally designed for them to professionally grow. And it is not just questions about, you know, what the theory says about something, but it's like more around, hey, Jeff, you know, how do you make it happen? But don't bring a fake Jeff here. I want the real Jeff. I want the guy who has struggled with challenges, who made stuff happen. You know, I want to know the, the truth behind this. And that's one element that I think people really value of the way I design these events because, you know, they want that, that genuineness. They want that authenticity in the conversations because other, otherwise, Jeff, otherwise the reality is that if you put something together that is not authentic, people are like, you know, this is like BS, you know, uh, this is BS, this is BS, this is So I, I don't buy it. Whereas if it's real, then it becomes true and people have more, not only connection, but the content resonates better with them. Absolutely. Look, and, and, look, and again, I think that's another thing to call out, right? If, if you can identify a gap in the content that's serving your industry or your domain, and, and whether it's how the content's presented, whether it's authentic or not authentic, whether it costs money or not, that's an opportunity for you. And I love that you took advantage of that. So let's talk about this. So, so why did you start this community? 
How did it come about? Yeah. You know, I think there are a couple of reasons, one professional and one personal. <laughs> okay. The professional reason was that me, as an electronic engineer working in HR, I think anybody, you don't have to be an engineer, by the way, but anybody would notice the gap that exists between the world of technology and the world of HR. And this gap is pretty wide, by the way, in terms of how fast people in technology have to learn new skills. Otherwise, they go obsolete extremely fast vis-a-vis the pace at which HR learn and relearn new skills and whatnot. So number one. Number two, it is about how the importance they have in the business. You know, I think people in engineering or an engineering department, it's really important for the operation and the success of a company. But very often they don't see HR in the same way, even though I think that HR is even more important than anything else. So number one, professionally, I wanted to close that gap between technology and HR. And that's how hacking HR started, you know, as a conversation of technology and HR, and then it evolved and now it's everything. And the second reason is that I was freaking bored at the job that I was doing when I created Hacking HR. Like I was like bored to death, man. And I said, I got a couple of options here. Actually, I have three options. Number one, I quit without having anything in the in the pocket, you know, for me to do after this. Number two, I just waste my time. Like I see other people wasting their time just connecting on social media or getting coffee all the time out, out there with the friends. Or I do something valuable, you know, and I use my skills, my capacities, my capabilities, and I create something that is valuable for me and for others. And I chose this last option. And I said, I, I, said, I want to do something with my my creativity, I want to find an outlet, but I want to do it in a way that makes sense for me to grow and for others to grow. And that I combine that with this gap, with trying to close this gap between technology and HR. And that's how I create Hacking HR. Nice. Look, and that's excellent, right? I mean, not, and there's that entrepreneurial spirit. I talk a lot about that in the book as well, right? There's, there's a drive there to say, look, I can make this better or I can improve upon this or I can, and I've got the time because I see people wasting their time, I can make them more efficient. So that's amazing. So, so you kick this off. Now, how do you build a network? How do you build a community? What's worked well? What hasn't worked so well? That's a great question. And it's the one that probably everybody in the trying to build a community will always want to know, right? I mean, yeah. how do you build a network? The first thing to know is that you got to start small. It's not that you have to start small. I mean, if you are Barack Obama, you probably can create a a community in a day because you are Barack Obama, but most of us are not Barack Obama. So most of us will have to start somewhere. And generally, you know, it goes step by step and it takes time. So number one, you have to start somewhere and you have to start small because that's the way this, this thing is. And you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with the fact that maybe your community is not going to be an event with 24,000 people the first day. Maybe it's going to be an event with 10 people. And those 10 people are so engaged with your content because you're putting something that is so freaking awesome that those 10 people will bring 10 more. And now you have 100 people, right? Each one, you know, bring 10s and 10s and 10s. And then you have 1,000 people and a million people, whatever it is. So you got to start small. Now, there's a component that I see a lot of people suffering from when they are trying to build something, and especially when they are trying to build a community. And it's the fear of what's going to happen when you start inviting others to be part of a community or to speak at some event and whatnot. So, at the, Jeff, at the very beginning, any time that I sent out an email inviting somebody to speak, I was like shaking. I was like, 
what if this person says that I'm a piece of crap and that I don't, <laughs> I, I don't even deserve their, their response, you know, like what happens with this, right? So I was creating all these stories in my mind about the worst thing that could happen and never the worst thing actually happened. In fact, the worst thing that actually happened was somebody saying to me, Enrique, thank you so much for the invite. I'm flattered, but I can't make it. You know, I'm sorry for whatever reason or people not responding at all. So you have to be fearless in a sense that the worst thing will never happen, but the best thing will probably never happen either, especially when you are at the beginning of your journey. So be okay with the pace at which things are moving, make them happen. Be fearless that nobody will be mad at you because you're inviting them to speak at an event. Just make it happen. Just do it. Just go out there, put yourself out there, start from somewhere. And you're going to get somewhere if you start from the beginning. Right now, by the way, you know, I send out invites to Michelle Obama. And what I think is she's never going to respond to my invitation. And that's okay. You know, I'm not going to do it either way because maybe one day she's going to say like, okay, I'm going to just respond to this freaking guy that is annoying me with all these messages, right? But that's how you start. You start small and knowing that the worst things that you have in mind that could happen will never happen. And maybe at the very beginning, the best things will come in small doses. Really great advice. And I think that a lot of folks worry about that. They say, look, I'm going to start this event, this meetup, this community, this conference, and nobody's going to come. Or, you know, and nobody's like, like you said, like 10 people. I remember um, a few years ago, maybe it's a lot of years ago now, I spoke at HubSpot's conference in Boston. They have a big multi-thousand person. It was at the Boston Conference Center. And I remember the founders of HubSpot were, were on stage in front of the, of the whole audience. And they said, we've come a long way from the Marriott or something like that. Where, you know, <laughs> it was like 35 of them in a, in a conference room at the Marriott, like five or six or seven years earlier. And this was up to like 20,000 people now, right? So they were, they were okay with being small. They were fine with it. And then they just kept programming good content, asking people, people coming, and then word of mouth begins to build this. And again, coming up with this, with this fearlessness to overcome the imposter syndrome, which is in all of us, and to say, look, I'm just going to ask, right? And I tell my kids all the time, like, if you want something in life, ask for it. The worst thing that someone will say is no. Yeah. So what, right? Yeah, I mean, in, in this professional world, it is extremely unlikely, not that it never happens. It is extremely unlikely that somebody will be like nasty to you because you're asking them for something. Right. The worst thing would be for them to say, no, thank you. I'm not interested. Or they just don't respond to your right. messages or your emails. I mean, that's okay. I mean, you just move on from there and that's it. Yeah. And, and sometimes you think, well, that person will never respond to me. We had, um, we, we have, Joss Leverett, for example, on the, on the show, Joss Leverett has a Netflix show. And so about, about uh, it's called Canine Interventions. It's about training dogs, right? The guy's on Netflix. That's no joke, right? We emailed him and he's like, sure, I'll come on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really? <laughs> like, you, you don't know who I am, right? So just ask. Okay, back to you and back to your story. So Hacking HR is growing. You're asking, at this point, we've got more than, 20, more than 24,000 people attending these events. Is it your full-time job now? Have you transitioned this to become your full-time work? Yeah, it is my full-time job now. Got it. And so how much time do you spend on, we say, we say full-time, give us a sense of like how much time you spend on hacking HR weekly basis. It's funny because I have an idea about what work is these days. Let me give you one example of, of something. I mean, I'm, I'm responding this like on the sites, but I'm a runner. So I spend a lot of time training in the mountains, you know, hours and hours running. 
And when I'm running, even though I'm not sitting in a computer, I am still thinking about stuff that, are, that is related to work. And I am creating things in my mind when I am running. So, you know, sitting in a computer, I may be, you know, 40, 50 hours a week. But when I'm doing something else, you know, when I'm walking around, when I'm drinking a coffee, when I'm running in the mountains, I am still creating a stuff in my mind that then I, when I come back to the computer, I create in the physical world. So I, I do spend basically you know, every waking hour doing something that is related to hacking it, whether it is in the action of making it, of executing it, as in, you know, I'm going to design an event. So let me sit in the computer to design the content and write down this, the panels and invite people. And as creating mentally what I want to make happen, as in I'm running and I'm thinking, man, you know, I haven't done an event about, I don't know, data this year. I want to put an event about data in November which is a month that I don't have any events planned up, you know? So I come back to the computer and I look at the calendar, I select the dates and I design the thing. So every waking hour for me has, you know, some component of work with Hacking HR, whether it is, again, executing or creating mentally what I want to execute later on. It's, it's amazing, by the way, uh, how many ideas come to us when we're exercising, right? I, I, yeah. It's crazy because you, you, you think that it clears the mind and it does, right? But, but then all these amazing ideas, I do a lot of mountain biking. And so, Usually when I'm, when I'm, when I'm sweating on the way up, <laughs> your mind starts to clear and you're like, oh, I should do that thing. You know, and you try to take a note. So look, full-time job, how do you monetize it? Right. You said it's a free event, right? How do yeah. we monetize it? Well, you know, it's, that's, that's the big question for me right now. You know, when I created Hacking HR, I had a job that, that job that I was born at. <laughs> yeah. So. I only quit my job at the end of 2007, 19, I'm sorry, a couple of years after I quit Hacking HR. And it's been a little bit of a roller coaster, you know, because we've made a little bit of money with some programs, but it's not enough to sustain, you know, an operation that I can scale up. I've been burning off my savings as well. You know, I think, I don't think there's any entrepreneur in the world that would start, again, unless you are the Barack Obamas of the world, you know, and, and they are very rare. I think for most people, it goes as in, I have this idea. Let me start making it happen. I'm going to be using some of my savings. So I've been using my savings, which, you know, I have mostly already burned up. You know, we've made a little, a little bit of money with some of the things, some of the programs that we have, a platform that we created that has a premium membership attached to it. And I'm hoping people continue to pay for that membership. But, you know, most things are free in the platform, but there are some premium features. That's how I, you know, I've been trying to make this work financially. But I think now I am at a stage where we're going to be going out to find funding, you know, like more significant and serious funding, because the opportunity to scale this up is just incredible. But I don't have the resources to scale it up to the place where I want to, where I wanted to scale it up. You know, I mean, you know, the HR uh, global uh, community is, you know, a little over 10 million HR people in the world. And 20,000 people, even the largest HR associations in the world, they don't have more than 300,000 people. Even 300,000 people compared to me, it's, it's a big number. But compared to the universe of HR people, it's not a big number. It's actually, actually a tiny number. So I think there's a gigantic opportunity to scale this up and to build a massive global community. But that requires resources. So, so anyway, you know, I'm monetizing some things that I'm doing, but I'm ready to now go out and find some funding for more. Got it. And again, uh, just highlighting a couple of the points here because you're doing, this is entrepreneurial work. There is risk. 
in entrepreneurial work. And if it's something that we believe in, it's something we're passionate about, we need to be willing to, to take some of that risk, right? In this case, whether it's, it's living off of our savings or experimenting with some ideas like a freemium tier for your platform, right? To try to, try to make that work out. But I love the idea that like, this is important to you. There's a tremendous opportunity. You're taking the risk to scale it and you're running the experiments to test the best ways to scale it. And then funding becomes an interesting path for this as well. Let's talk a little bit about the meat of community management and the content of the, the community as well as, so look, I run a really tiny community compared to yours, about 1,000th, it's about a thousandth the size of your community, 25 <laughs> people, right? And in the five years that I've been running that little community, I've learned a ton about community management and it is really, really hard work. How do you do it? How do you nurture a community to grow successfully and in a healthy manner? And at the same time, sort of the second half of the question is, how do you deal with the harder parts of community management? Things like harassment, tone, content, moderation, that type of thing, right? So what have you learned about community management to make it successful? That's a great question. And let me begin by saying this, Jeff. And this is in all transparency. We, I define what we do as a community, but I have a vision of a, what a community is, and I don't think we're there yet. This has been a big realization for me because I say, I all the time say, oh, how can I trust a community? But when I think about what a real community means to me, I don't think we have accomplished that yet. To me, a real community happens when in an organic and natural way, a group of people that belong to a group come together to either collaborate, elevate each other, grow together, problem solve, explore opportunities, experiment together. And that requires a lot of components that, you know, we may not talk about that in the, in the show today, but it requires trust. It requires having the tools to make this happen organically. And, you know, we are building the tools, we're building the technology, we're building the trust to make that happen, but we are not there yet. So that's one component. The second component is that even if I have, you know, 1 million people of a community tomorrow, a community does not happen in 1 million people. A community happens in very tiny groups within that larger group that we are defining as a community. When I talk about creating organic opportunities for people to come together and to share, collaborate, learn, elevate each other. That has to happen at a, ve at a very small level. I think that even 25 people, there's research that shows that tribes are effective up to 150 people. I think that is still a lot of people for a community. When you are in a group of 1 million people, but you are able to find the five people that you want to be constantly talking with and talking to about something, boy, Girl, you men are in a real community. That's a real community because that community is making you grow. You're helping it grow. And you are, yes, you are part of the 1 million people, but for you, it is those five that truly make a difference for you. That's one very important component. Now, about community management, fortunately, so far, we've only had a few instances where things get a little bit out, out of control, where people say something that they don't, they should not say where we make a mistake by saying something that we shouldn't have said or that we shouldn't have shared. Like, for example, you know, I remember like about a couple of years and a half ago, you know, there was this guy who posted an article about something and we thought it was cool and we shared it on our LinkedIn page. 
and somebody called us out because that person ended up being one, a guy who didn't believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion as in gender, DEI, and we didn't know that. So we left the article up on the page and we invited people to challenge the article and to challenge the author. But now we became much more aware of those things. And now we do a little bit of a more research before sharing anything from anybody, right? I don't think there has been any case, at least that I know of, around harassment. There are people who don't agree with everything that I say, you know, or with everything that I do. And, you know, there's this HR association that has been around for a long time. I don't think they are doing the right thing. I think they are. I think they are harming the HR profession. And I say this out loud and somebody called me out for that. And I said, well, you know, you got your right to not agree with what I'm saying. And I have my right to say what I'm saying. So you have the option to disconnect from me and not follow my content anymore or to respect the fact that this is the way I feel and this is what I think about this community. So this happens and it's part of building the community. But, you know, again, fortunately, I have not had any case where I, I can say, wow, this thing was really, really bad. That hasn't happened. No con wood, you know, for that to continue to be that way. <laughs> That's excellent. Consider yourself fortunate because it's, it's tough. It's the smallest yeah, community, yeah. the biggest community. And again, this comes back to your theme from before. Start small, be okay with yeah. being small. Even if you're huge, the success of the community is built on these micro interactions, right? So I found Correct. my tribe of people yeah in here who make it happy and who make it a happy place for me to be and challenges will arise. You're going to get some folks who sneak in, who don't perhaps agree with, with the organization's point of view and, or you're going to get organizations that feel threatened by you and that may yeah. come and, yeah. and challenge you. Right. We see that across industries and across different points of view. Look, I think it's crucial for the success of your community to be opinionated. And then when the challenges come, to stand your ground and defend that opinion. And that really, I think that really makes the purpose of the community clear, which is. And Jeff, if you allow me, I want to add one more thing in there. I said before to people, you know, be fearless and, you know, make stuff happen. But I also want to say sort of the flip side of that coin is the following. You know, some people will tell you that when things don't go the way you want and when the best case you want to happen doesn't happen or the worst case doesn't happen, but you know, something pretty bad is happening. People tell you, don't take it personally. You know, I actually think it's the opposite. I actually think just take the thing personally <laughs> because that's going to help you grow. If you are taking it personally, what I think, what I do at least, and what I think most people do is step back and say, why the hell is this happening? You know, why, why is this bad thing happening or why is the best case scenario not happening? So when you take those things personally, you reach a point where you are like, you know what? I got to change my tactics. I got to change my strategy. I got to change the way I'm approaching people. I got to change the way I'm thinking about the world. I don't know what it is that you have to change. But when you take it personally, I think it gives you, it, it grounds you in reality and sort of pushes you down this path of, I got to do things differently because if I continue doing these things like this, they, they won't work. So. This goes, you know, hand in hand with this idea of community management. When somebody says something to you, they may agree or disagree with you, but take it at some point, not as a personal attack, but take it personally as in, it's my responsibility to do things differently for these things to be better, to not happen again, or to address whatever feedback I'm getting from the members of this community. Light a fire. I like that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And, and, and look, and, and again, 
It's an interesting opinion. A lot of folks say don't take it personally. Like, look, take it personally. Let that yeah, light a yeah. fire <laughs> motivation <laughs> make the community better, which is good, right? I got two more questions for you, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay, so hacking HR starts with okay, how do we reinvent HR, move it forward? The content that I've seen recently from the community is talking a lot about the future of work and things like that. One of the things that makes a community interesting and a network continue to thrive and and discourses is making the conversations relevant. And so how do you decide where to take the conversations in in the group, in the events, in the community, and how do you know it's the right direction to go in? Yeah, well, I think that I am very fortunate with the fact that I get to talk to so many people in the HR space and, you know, HR leaders, HR practitioners, I am connected with so many of them, you know, they send me emails and whatnot. And that, of course, gives me a clear idea of what the opportunities and the challenges are. Not always do I get it right, of course, but, you know, I think so far, mostly, you know, the content that I put out there and the events and and the panels that I'm organizing have been, you know, spot on because that's what people talk about, right? I mean, I do read the research that big organizations are putting out and I enjoy that, but I put way more weight and value in the stories that people are telling me. You know, when I talk to a nature leader and even if it's just one or two or five of them and they tell me I am struggling with this thing, I don't know how to solve that one other thing, that gives me, you know, the ideas that I need to put together content and to create content. So that's mainly how I do it. I read the research, but I keep conversations with hundreds of people every week. And that all comes to my mind, you know, and when I'm running, then I put them all together in buckets. And I'm like, well, you know, one bucket that concerns people is, you know, mental health. Another bucket is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Another bucket is this other thing. So then I decide, okay, how can I address the challenges that are included in this bucket? What can I do? And that's how I create the, the learning agendas for what we're doing. That's great. And again, crowdsourcing and listening to what people yes. are asking about, what they're talking about, where are the shared experiences, where are the patterns, and then deciding to take the community conversation in that direction. Nicely done. Last question for you. So if someone's listening and they said, wow, Enrique, that's really inspiring. I want to start my own community tomorrow. What's the best piece of advice that, and you've given a lot of great advice. So maybe it's a, repeti- a repeat of something from before, but What's the best piece of advice you could give someone who wants to start their own community, regardless of topic, right? If, what's the one thing you would say, listen, here's the thing that I, you have to actually do or that I absolutely recommend you do if you want to be successful? Yeah, I'm going to say a couple of things. The first one is that there's a lot of stuff going on out there in the world, you know, like a lot of information, a lot of communities in the making, a lot of groups. So you got to be very clear about your niche and you, you start there, right? I mean, I started with HR, but maybe in hindsight, I, I could have started with HR leaders or HR recruiters, you know, or things of the kind, right? Like a, a smaller group. So pick your niche and start there. It's so interesting how you could find niche communities that can be very successful. You know, entrepreneurs that are building technology platforms in Barcelona, Spain, Right. Man, you got to find a bunch of people probably in that group, right? And, and so sure. you start with a very neat and clear value proposition to a very clear target audience. So number one. Number two, very short, make it happen. You know, stop making excuses. If you have been making excuses in your mind today, it is cheaper than it's ever been to do anything. And what I mean by that is to start a community, all you need to do is go and create a LinkedIn 
group or a LinkedIn company page, you know, get a Zoom account and create a couple of banners on PowerPoint. And I still do, do them on PowerPoint. Create a couple of banners on PowerPoint and say, on Monday at 7 p.m. Barcelona time, the community of tech entrepreneurs in Barcelona working with climate change will get together for a chat on what to do next. And then you may get 10 people, but those 10 people are the 10 people that you want to have to start growing it from there. So make it happen. You know, stop the excuses. Just make it happen. It's about experimentation. Things will not go totally right the first time, but never will the worst case scenario happen that you have in mind, nor will probably the best case scenario, at least at the beginning, will happen. So be okay with experimenting, be very agile, but make it happen. Stop making excuses. Killer advice from Enrique Rubio, founder of Hacking HR. You can find the community at hackinghr.io. Enrique, thank you so much for your time, your expertise, and for sharing your experience and for being a guest on Forever Employable Stories. Thank you so much, Jeff, for inviting me. Happy to have been here. Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks again for joining me for this episode of Forever Employable Stories. If you enjoyed the show and learned something new, tell a friend. The best way you can help us grow is to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and send this episode to someone you think can benefit from it. As always, feel free to reach out and connect on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Do you know someone who has a great Forever Employable story? Someone who has built a platform and an audience using their unique skills and experience? If so... I want to talk to them. Send me a note at jeff at gothealth.co and let me know.